I think he'll want to keep that momentum rolling. And at the end of the day, he's just such a competitor and he kind of just breaks everything down in, you know, challenges. So this is a huge challenge for him. Like you said in the past, he hasn't enjoyed going there. But then again, it could have been someone else in his camp that didn't enjoy going there. Gabby might love the place. We don't actually know. Um, how do I want to start this? How do you start a good podcast? I guess you just go straight into it. Stace, how the hell are you? Mikey, I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well, man. I'm locked away in my uh, dungeon again. No shirt, as you can see. Luckily, the people cannot. Um, but other than that, yeah, everything's swell. Um, how was your trip down to Newcastle, sir? Or, I'm sorry, Narrabeen. Wow, I'm already two events behind. Lucky this is a podcast and not a TV show because you're full Blair Witch Project right now, Dark Dungeon. Uh, don't worry, I called it. I called Narrabeen New South Wales on the broadcast. So, yeah, my trip to Narrabeen was good and more specifically North Narrabeen. It was great. This event went off seemingly without a hitch. It seemed like it just ran straight through. I don't even know if we had a lay day, really. Um, what did you think of the event? What was your like one big takeaway, if you had one? Um, one big takeaway through both of these events is don't try too hard to forecast anything. And how good it was to run an event in four days. We had one lay day at the start, which... Didn't even really feel like a problem at all. And then four days back to back. I've never been a part of an event that has done that. And I can't think of the last time that did. A lot of people think that Snapper did that one year. But I'm convinced it ran four days. We had a day off and then ran a day. So I can't think of an event that went four days. Like dawn till dusk every day. Which is I think so good for like keeping the momentum. And keeping people even like the athletes engaged in it. And really you know going back to back every day yeah and it gives them a little break as well before the next event which starts in about two weeks time out in margaret river um what do you think what have you heard that surfers are going to be doing in that downtime are they heading out west right away to get acquainted acquainted with those kind of waves or are they taking it easy everyone's taking it easy the charter flight leaves on the 27th and that's non-negotiable everyone's on that flight and you yeah that can't be brought forward i haven't heard of anyone leaving um individually and to be honest i don't think they can it's in a it's a terms of the agreement that the west australian government gave the wsl that i'm pretty sure everyone has to arrive together just in the event that we need to go into some sort of bubble no one's just gonna chris ward it and drive across the nullarbor you don't think i don't think so and oh, you wouldn't want to you'd rather just wait for the plane i think Unless you're John John Florence, just absolutely livid with everything East Coast Australia right now, just dying to go find a giant ramp at Cobbles to just dissipate your woes. Yeah, he might have to do a wardo actually. Although, although his results have been frustrating, I think he's still enjoying himself on the East. Yeah, I mean, God, it, for somebody who lost two events in a round far before he probably should have he was surfing really well i thought like that heat against morgues again i know i don't want to like keep beating on this dead horse but to me up until morgues did that one turn john's surfing was so just tight and incredible like just i don't know the the level of the turns that john was doing for me 
were so much higher, even though they looked like fairly similar and they were, you know, throwing similar amounts of spray, the angles John was achieving were like incredible. Then Morgs went like Mach 15 on that big finner and it was like, yeah, okay, he won the heat. But um, yeah, what, what did you think about that? I, I completely agree. I think overall John looks amazing in both of these events considering the waves. So I think he's for sure improved in, in an area that was a big weakness for him. He just came up against the Tour de Force Morgan Sibillic. And then, yeah, Morgan did one of the best backside Rios I've ever seen. So he for sure got outsurfed. But his own level, he was looking extremely gnarly. And I guess that was the one thing I... It, he second guessed, you know, he looked at that wave, kind of thought, oh, maybe not. And then Morgan, just happy-go-lucky, did what we all saw. And so tell me, you were obviously on the ground for all four days. You got to speak with pretty much every winner and loser that you came across. Uh, what were a few of your favorite chats that you had last week? Oh, well, a few of the funny ones I thought was I had to interview Malia, which is kind of strange. Officially getting us underway here in Narrabeen, Malia Manuel. How hard is it to start as heat number one? <laughs> Very difficult. I think this is harder to talk to you. <laughs> um. And then uh, Freestone as well, which is kind of funny again. You'll have another heat today. How's the energy levels? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, everything's good. It's just I'm just excited to be talking to you. Like this is pretty crazy. This is like a pinch yourself moment that one of your best friends talking to you after heat. Crazy. And then Gabriel just keeps surprising me. He's so just a different human being this year. Another good claim. You think Jimmy Butler's watching? Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, you see that one? That, was that from deep or are you in the paint? Fade uh, away. That was in the middle part, yeah. <laughs> just like a step back and a front. <laughs> and he's, he's super chatty. Both events kind of got word that he might not want to post an interview at his semi-final to just prepare for the final. Both times I kind of just thought, I'm just going to stand next to the glass and if he wants to chat, he can chat. And if he doesn't, I understand, you know, you want to win the event. So you want to do everything you can. And doing a posted interview generally doesn't help you win a CT. But both times he was just, yeah, okay, like no drama. And it's really, um, I guess, cool to see. It just looks like he's having a good time, which is um, different to the past. Yeah, okay, so let's uh, let's break this down because this is something that Binzi in his comp raps on stabmeg.com kind of like, I won't even say he hinted at, like I think he said it pretty outright, but he maybe didn't dig as deep as you could have because realistically we're all just kind of speculating about this, I guess, but there have been two major changes in Gabriel Medina's life, maybe three considering how you count them, um, but... And they all kind of stem from the same main uh, point, I guess you could say. And it's basically that he's swapped out one sidekick for, it seems like, another. Obviously, he's been working with Charlie for the past 13 years, um, you know, as a coach, as a stepfather. He's been at every event, you know, well, all the ones that he wasn't banned from. Um, and now it seems that, you know, Gabriel's got a new wife, depending on who you listen to that might have caused some ruffles within the whole family unit or whatever. But the end result, regardless, is that Charlie didn't come to Australia. He's no longer Gabriel's coach. Now Gabriel's working with Andy King, um, 
coming into this year, Gabriel had had one final in 21 events in Australia. Now he's made two finals in a row. Um, so a lot of things have changed within Gabriel's circle, and we see the difference in his results. We see the difference in his demeanor. What are you taking from all of this? I'm taking from this. He's just a young man growing up, and I think most you could you could use minus the millions of dollars and large amounts of fame. You've seen plenty of young blokes around the world just grow up, and he's just doing that in front of our very own eyes. And sometimes it doesn't work, and other times it does. But either way, it's a learning experience for you. It's just crazy how he's had this transition, and his results have seemingly got better from a guy whose results were already really, really good. So I guess that's what's interesting to note, and you just said it there. Like, Australia for him has always been really weak, and he's come out here and, you know, he he has surfed every heat in every event this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's made four finals in a row. And, and to be fair with the Australia thing, um, obviously the venues are different this year than they ever have been. Um, I think we could fairly safely assume that if you know, over the, his, whatever, eight year career on tour or nine years or whatever it's been that if more of the CTs were held at waves like Narrabeen and Newcastle, he probably would have made a few more finals over the years. He seems to kind of switch onto those sort of waves a little bit quicker than a right point like snapper or bells or Margaret's, which he really seems to hate. No, I'm going to blame that. I'm going to, no, I can, I can speak a little more to this on that. It's the wife. Because he doesn't have a world title hangover because he hasn't, you know, he's not cruising in Brazil. He's just hanging with the miso. And I think that's got a lot to do with keeping some consistency in the results. There's no mid-comp blowouts anymore. Okay. So, okay, but on the other side of that, is it not true that he was kind of seen out and about around the event a little bit more than usual? I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. He just looks relaxed. And I know he's been surfing with Philippe a lot more and then that crew, which, again, is so rare to see him, you know, hanging with all of those guys. Um, and it's almost like Italo has, has taken the, you know, the world champ kind of mentality. He's spending a lot of time just surfing by himself. He's not hanging with the pack. Although I did, I did hear that Italo was enjoying himself after hours, so... Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's it's a hard one, but I definitely know. I think Gabby's weakness in Australia in the past, I think, has got more to do with where he finishes at the end of the year rather than um, Australia itself. Well, but he only won two world titles before, and his history in Australia has been like dismal for most of his career. So I wouldn't attribute it all to the world titles. But the Italo point is really interesting because we've seen Italo just come out of a really serious relationship with someone who was like truly just by his side 24 seven, you know, she was crying with him on the, on the stair set at bells when he almost died. And again, the next day when he won his first CT um, and, you know, we don't really know the details of what happened there, but we do know that um, Italo and his girlfriend are now ex partners. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see the difference in like approach and mentality and kind of just like character and like personality that's come out of these two. It's almost been a bit of a flip, as you said. Definitely. But I will just reiterate my point in that you don't need a world title to have a world title sized quote unquote hangover. So yeah, 
I'm just getting back to it. Like Gabby's had his chances in Australia in the past and hasn't capitalised. and just been comps at D-Bar and shitty bells and other ways where he should have just won. Um, and now to see him winning is like, oh my God. It, this is starting to become the point of like making the final five where he's he might make it look ridiculous. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so how do you like his chances going into Margaret's, which is an event that he is yeah, historically very opposed to both in desire to surf it and competitive success. I think he's going to do well just given the fact that he likes, I think having the target on his back and he's going into Margaret river with something to defend. Now he's world number one and he is by a long way. So I think he'll want to keep that momentum rolling. And at the end of the day, he's just such a competitor and he kind of just breaks everything down in, you know, challenges. So this is a huge challenge for him like you said in the past he hasn't enjoyed going there but then again it could have been someone else in his camp that didn't enjoy going there Gabby might love the place we don't actually know yeah fair enough and um you know we're talking about WA and I feel like when I say that all I'm kind of really thinking of is Margaret River but we also have another event over there this year at a place called Strickland Bay um, which from my understanding is predominantly a pretty rivable left with a little right ramp on it as well, which couldn't hurt. So um, yeah, maybe that wave is also pretty well geared towards Gabby's approach. And lifestyle. I believe that uh, Strickland Bay on Rottnest Island is going to be similar in logistics to a Fiji in that there will be no competitors, um, big entourages. It's really tight. Um, it's it's just the surfers and staff, and there's no public access from what I'm led to believe. So that's, you know, there'll be no chanting and crazy distractions for Gabby. He's just going to have a island holiday with a contest on the side. Mm, how good is it? And how, I mean, I, we say this every time, but he did it again in this event. Every single heat, he did exactly what he needed to do until the final when he just absolutely blew connor out of the water but like that semi against morgan i was like oh man like morgan pulled into that ridiculous barrel where he stood up inside of the barrel and i was like oh my god one morgan has somehow done it again and two gabby's gonna somehow lose when he's like clearly the surfer that should win this event and then he just like turns it on to another gear it's insane it is it's insane he um really knows how to pull the rabbit out of the hat and I mean full credit to Morgan he really showed this event that it it is no fluke he really put some extremely amazing performances on the board so but Gabriel uh, has just somehow always got a little bit more in the tank he really does it's absolutely incredible Um, and to that point I want to talk about somebody who seems to have nothing left in the tank um, and I apologize in advance if I offend your sweet Australian sensibilities, but what the hell happened to Julian Wilson? Yeah, it's a relevant question. Could be potentially framed differently. Um, I had a chat with Julian in the car park actually about being kind of um, on the other side of like certain rivalries and the age bracket. And he was stoked, and uh, kind of referring to him having a, a really cool battle, a few events back to back there with Parko back in the day, and he always seemed to lose. And now Julian, sort of after he got Jack at Newcastle, and he seems pretty fired up. 
that he it's all still there, but I'm not too sure um, why he can't really bring it together in his heats. Um, it's it's just sort of not happening for him at the moment. I feel like it's like aging me because Julian, you know, like I was very well aware of like when Julian was like coming up and he was like the hot new thing and he had, you know, his movie scratching the surface, which was incredible. And I think he like basically accidentally qualified that same year that he was making that film. And um, yeah, for a while he was Australia's great hope for a world title following those Mick and Joel years, which, you know, we obviously knew that they were going to win a few world titles. Um, But he just, I, I don't know what it is. He just, to me watching and maybe I'm putting way too much emphasis on competitive results. I'm obviously not watching him free surf every day, but it just, that spark, that youthful spark seems to be missing. And the judges just seem to be like, just picking it apart. For sure. Um, and I will, I will say that there, you know, with a few of these other servers, I think we could potentially put Geordie in there too, in that their surfing is still really, really sharp, but, I'll use Morgan as an example. He is going a lot faster. There's a certain speed to Morgan's turns, and I guess you could put Ethan in that same bracket as well. They really are going pretty quick and turning pretty fucking hard. So um, oh, I'm not too sure. I can't really put my finger on it, other than I know that they those two guys in particular are still seeming to want it just as bad, but in that 30-minute bracket, they're just, just not coming together for them. What else? Okay, so the other big storyline that I just feel like we have to have in here for history's sake, I'm sure we both talked enough about it, but Italo's heir. Um, why don't we just go ahead and cut right ahead to what Stace said on the webcast about it? Well, I don't expect everyone to agree with me on this one, but I don't think he rides out of that. Um, you know, I think the, the clear comment is if he stands up, would they pay it? And there's a reason why he didn't stand up because he wasn't in control yet. Tried to keep riding it, and he was off his board. Incredible manoeuvre. Huge score if he rides out cleanly, but on this occasion, it's a no for me. So, obviously, at the end of every heat, they'd prefer if you can get a winner and a loser interview, which I thought would really bother me before I took the job. I was pretty worried about talking to the loser. Obviously, I know how much effort everyone puts in, and you don't really want to talk after you lose, but then... I think a lot of the athletes now do understand that it's it's part of the job and, you know, sponsor obligations and even just checking in back home and letting them know you're okay or whatever it is. I'm not too sure. But I certainly knew that I was no chance at getting a loser interview out of Italo after that heat went down just because of how dramatic it was. So I just went up to the locker room and thought I'd just start talking some shit. But I... Um, felt pretty strongly that he didn't he didn't ride out of that and um I would say I still do after watching all the angles and all the footage a few days later um I don't watch and I don't think anyone should watch the slow-mo footage it, it's not how you judge if someone makes something or not at, at fucking 240 frames a second a lot of airs would be made if you judged it that way um the other thing too is that I was I was um you know I've got a try and get a few little things throughout the day and who's watching and stuff. And I bumped into Tom Carroll, who is just one of the nicest blokes you could ever bump into. I said, oh, would you mind? Like, he's from um, Newport, Avalon area, just around the corner. So I thought, that's cool. Obviously, TC, two-time world champ. He loves Italo. I'm like, sick. I'll get Italo, I'll get TC during Italo's heat. 
I said, oh, Tom, do you mind if I come and find you? He's like, yeah, I'm going to be on the water's edge, like full surf fan, frothing out. And I'm like, sick, I'll come down. Found him. We're halfway through this conversation and and, and TC's called it, right? He's like, I want to go down there because I know Itzlo's going to do something psycho, which obviously we all expect that. But where it all happened was right in front of us. And we both watched it and both were obviously super excited to see that go down because it was so dramatic. The wave was a big closeout and the drone angle makes it look like a two-footer and it wasn't. It was a solid wave. And we both kind of went, oh, bummer. Like, that was so cool, but he just got annihilated. He, he, he definitely landed the air, but as far as riding it out in a competition sense, he definitely did not. So then talking about it later, I sort of just said that, I guess, and I still would say it again. I don't think he made it. <laughs> and I agree. Um, I wrote a story about it, just a little brief thing on Stab, um, basically saying that, you know, there are kind of two sets of rules when it comes to this and they're very clearly defined there's the competition rules which the wsl states blatantly explicitly that you need to be able to ride out with control in front of the whitewater Italo did not do that there are also though free surfing rules free surfing rules are dictated more by emotion and like you know does it seem like he pretty much landed that and for sure, free surfing, you put that into a, a, an edit and nobody's like calling you, calling foul, saying you didn't land or anything like that. Like I think back to that original spindle flip that Matt Miola did. And it was the exact same thing as Italo. He stomped it perfectly in the flats, just lost all his speed in doing so. And the whitewater caught up to him and rolled over him. Nobody came out of the woodwork saying, oh, no, he didn't land that. It doesn't count. You can't win surfer pole or whatever it was um because it's just a different thing it's free surfing um and i think it's fine but what i was interested to see is that there were a lot of like ct surfers and xct surfers in the instagram comments saying that they thought it was a make like i know owen wright said it was a make um i think josh kerr as well might have said that it was a make and i found that interesting because they live in that world even more than you and i do and to us it was like pretty clear well, Owen Wright responded to that because he did the same thing against Ethan Ewing earlier that day. Um, his first wave um, could have been a lot higher if I believe he had ridden out of his last air a lot better. Um, and I think Owen actually learnt that later in the day after spending some time with the judges questioning the call. So, which is completely fair enough. I'm, I'm glad to see surfers questioning calls with the judges. They, they, they're allowed to, they should. Um, and I think after sitting down and watching it, I think everyone was on the same page after that. Um, as for Kersey, like he's well within his place to say that Italo made that. Um, will it change the result? No. Uh, I was speaking with a very prominent member of the Brazilian Storm and, and asked him what he thought, and he, and he was very passionately telling me that it was a 50-50. But he was saying 50-50, yes, and I was sort of saying, well, mate, if you think it's a 50-50, there's your answer. <laughs> this is the world tour. This is the world champ. Like, I, I don't agree that um, sometimes servers get judged against themselves, but it certainly has happened over the years. And the, the rate of ease at which Italo does those things, he needs to be making them extremely clear that he landed it and rode out of it. And we saw that from Gabby in the heat with Morgan, who did almost an identical thing on a bigger section, but going left, landed in the flats with no speed at all, but he hung on for dear life and he beached that thing. 
And he, he would have done that if he, even if the whole Italo thing didn't happen anyway. He, he, he's a competitive genius. He knows the rules. He knows how they get scored. Yep. And I, and I think, too, like I read a couple comments where people were saying, well, you know, if Italo had just decided to jump off before the Whitewater caught him, the judges would have considered a make. Um, I can't say whether or not that's true. I guess if you're saying that Owen's air didn't count, then that pretty much discredits that line of logic. Um, but, you know, the, the fact is that Italo did his best to stay on his feet. Like, he knew that he had to ride out in front of that whitewater. That's why he tried so hard to do so and wasn't able to. Just And that's not a knock against him at all. Like, it was just impossible. He had no speed, and the whitewater just engulfed him. You have to get really lucky to ride out of that. Um, so I, And, yeah, just, just on that about knocking people, I got torn to shreds in my DMs from people I'd never met. Uh, one person, in fact, who listens to this podcast and they know exactly who they are, called me a kook, um, which that might be true, but you have to be careful not to throw stones when you live in a glass house. So <laughs> thank you very much. You're not going to throw the at out there? I even replied and said, hey, I appreciate your opinion. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're enjoying the day. And you wrote back, yeah, no worries, mate. You have a good night as well. And I'm thinking... <laughs> Dude, don't be like calling people names on the internet. And it just, it really, it actually kind of got me rattled how much people carry on on the internet just with no thought of who's on the other side of the fucking screen. It didn't affect me, I'm a grown man, but kids that in that world, holy shit, it's a dangerous place out there. Hey, speaking of which, uh, did you get a little ego boost from your two times stab Instagram post on your joyride? We're about to take the Axod 5.9 Monster for its first spin. Generally speaking, it was made for kind of sloppy summer kind of onshore conditions, but I'm going to give it a go in the juice and see if it handles four foot off the wall deeper. How are you feeling about how all that rolled out? Yeah, that was actually really cool. Thanks for that, Mikey. I owe you a lot. Um, A, for letting me steal your board, and B, for helping me construct everything. I also owe Malachi a massive shout-out filmed everything and then the white pony mikey malaloo for chopping it all up and putting it together um pretty chuffed to have one of my best mates editing um a clip of me which is extremely embarrassing but um i'm glad actually it was him and not some stranger that's having to watch me do a couple of fat backs but um yeah a bit of main feed ramp up it's pretty cool <laughs> definitely ex- <laughs> definitely pretty excited on that to be honest but um Overall, it was a cool experience, and I just hope that people got to watch it and watch the board and go, oh, well, that's what it does for, you know, just an everyday surfer, um, because that's the whole point of those things, right? I think the pros can ride anything, and they do that pretty well. Um, So, yeah, I had a good time doing it. And uh, the biggest takeaway for me in that whole thing was the difference in your surfing when you switched fins. Changing over from the Jack Freestone Futures to the John Pizel Futures, I think made a huge difference in this board. It was super responsive and I could change direction, you know, a lot easier and without really having to think about it, which I think is like the attribute you look for on a surfboard. You kind of just want to get up and surf without having to worry about anything. To be fair, I thought the board was going pretty well up until that point. Probably would have given it like a, I don't know, a six and a half out of ten. And then I changed the fins and it went up to like an eight, five, nine. I couldn't believe how much better it went with, um, and I mentioned it sort of when I wrote about it, which is something I'd never really done before, but kind of small wave board, 
good wave fins rather than going small wave board, small wave fins. Sort of, I feel like they balance each other out. Before we sign off on the men, I would just like to give a massive shout out to Ethan Ewing, who finally did what we knew he was capable of. And there was something that we couldn't share on the broadcast that I feel somewhat safe to share here, but I'll take the slap on the wrist for it later if that happens. I queued Ethan up in his interview to let us know how he felt about making it out of that round. Um, uh, Because he hasn't done it yet at round three at that point um, in his career. And he said, I feel fucking amazing. And just eyeballed me. And I just was just so shocked by his answer. It took me like five seconds to reply, which felt like three days. And we rattled out the interview, which was really good. And then I just, yeah, obviously got the word in my ear. There's no way we can use that because some of the post-seed interviews, it's a tape. So I, we just had to do it again. And it was just, you're pretty standard. Oh, how are you feeling? Yeah, how's your boards? Yeah, sweet. Say hello to home. Cool, goodbye. But the first interview was so good. And it's um, unfortunate that didn't get seen around the world because not only was his response amazing but his facial expression and his genuine stoke was on offer for everyone to see but moving forward he's just gonna have to sharpen up his vocabulary if he wants to get those interviews run but yeah that was a real cool thing for me to see out of him because we're all all of us you know we've known him since he was a little kid and so to see him like doing so well was was really fucking sick okay so just to clarify this was the first time that Ethan had ever made it out of the third round. Is that right? First time ever. Wow. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. And it, most people in the Aussie circle or close to Ethan knew that. Um, he's getting some help from Mitchell Ross these last two events. And, like, Rossi knew. Um, obviously, his father's here. You know, closest person to Ethan out of anyone, he certainly knew the importance of that heat and and um, and just how good he was surfing and, and everything was looking pretty good. And again, against most people, you're looking at his heats going, he should win this heat, but there was just such a, a long amount of time there where he just wasn't. And so to see it clicking for him was so cool. Like an interesting comparison to make um, would be, say, if you which is, it seems really obvious to say, but, you know, Ethan got so much experience out of that event by just getting to the quarters. You have to surf so many more heats than what you do if you lose straight away, obviously. But if you compare, like, Morgan Sibilic to his training partner, Matt McGivelray, both excellent surfers, but Morgan has had so much more CT experience in the last three weeks than Matt might get all year. Well, that's that for the men. Um, the women... There's a whole other side to this event that we haven't yet touched on. What was your big takeaway from uh, from the women's side? Takeaway from the women's side, I guess, was that I think everyone on both the men and women's tour have been reaching out for a left for a very long time, like a beach break left. And the women got one and they capitalized on it. It was an all-goofy final. So I think for them, um, you know, barring uh, Bronte McCauley, Everyone sort of maximized that opportunity, which was which was cool. Tati and Caroline um, stepped up, and that was the first time that we'd seen that in a very long time since Honolulu Bay, I believe. And uh, thanks to Kate at the breakdown for that one. And yeah, it was it, it was awesome. 
it made me realize that like Steph Gilmore really doesn't like going left. Look, it's no surprise that the top, you know, even Carissa, who grew up at Kaywalos there, it would seem um, the top three, they, they certainly do not like going left. And I can't blame them. They've all won world titles going right because it's a right-based tour. Um, but you certainly notice um, that even if Carissa admitted it, that she'd been practicing a lot going left, and I actually thought she looked pretty good, but certainly not the superpowers that they are going right. Yeah, it was fascinating. It was almost like the opposite of superpowers, like a kryptonite for Steph, it looked like. I mean, she, in that heat that she lost to Courtney, she was surfing uh, basically like a non-existent fat right-hander on the other side of the actual wave. Um, And it actually... I seem to remember her doing something similar in Sakurama, which is, I realized too, it's actually a pretty similar wave to Nerebeen, maybe just with a bit more backwash. Um, but I remember Steph kind of going right on that part of the wave that's predominantly a left. So this actually got me kind of interested and I went back and did a little reconnaissance. Um, so Steph has won 30, 31 CTs over the course of her career. And only two of them have been at predominant left-hand waves. Granted, that statistic is definitely skewed just by the sheer number of rights there are on tour versus lefts. But yeah, she just does not look like the powerhouse that we all know her to be. And I think it's a difference too that, like you noted, there's so many rights on the tour, particularly the Women's World Tour, that because obviously we're never going to Tahiti in that. So it's... um. No strange fact that so many of their, all of their wins had come up on rights. Um, but even Steph did pretty well at Cloudbreak when they had the event there. But that's a different thing. That's, that's surfing a big, wide open ocean, which she has no trouble doing. There's certainly, I think, a, a lot of room there for growth in a, in a I guess you could call it a, a, a grovelly beach break left-hander. The, the dynamics of good backhand surfing are extremely difficult and it's something that if you don't practice it you won't just be good at it um so it'd be interesting to see how the tour shapes up in the future and if there are going to be more waves like this on tour um they'll they'll need to be some hours put in backside groveling is hard to that point i would actually argue that backhand mechanics are almost like diametrically opposed to forehand mechanics on forehand, I think you want to be really like long and languid and kind of like bendy and flexy so you can fit in these like little, I don't know, like just I think of guys like John Florence and um, who else would be a really good example? Um, even like Jordy Smith, like they're kind of long and languid and fluid. And whereas backhand, you almost want to be more kind of staccato, like a little bit stiff and, and able to just like punch the lip really hard. So you think of people like Adriana de Souza and Italo Ferreira, like their stance is more square. You know, they're not as like, um, how do I describe it? Like the, it's just a totally different technique and style that um, lends itself to backhand surfing than frontside surfing. So I would think Steph, like when I look at her surfing, it is so far on the like languid and smooth side that I actually think it's probably not helpful backside. And we see the same thing with like John and Jordy, like their backhands are good, but they're nowhere near as good as their forehands, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. And actually you and I are a pretty good example of it as well. Like I think 
you are so well built for forehand surfing and that's when we see those kind of like really nice carves that you do and stuff and slashes and you can get your knee to the deck and everything and my backhand is way better because i'm just like i don't know like a little fucking dwarf and i just kind of like ball up and just can like hit the lip a couple times it's just like totally different like body types and techniques for front side and backside um you know and there's some people who are more in the middle and they can go front side and backside kind of like equally well because they're not so far on either side of the spectrum like i don't know i think of like a kanoa or something like that that kind of rides that line of neutrality a bit more but yes yeah, steph is very far on one side and then who would be a female that would be really far um like a uh, laura enever was really great in her backside and her forehand technique just was never quite as you know at that same level so yeah it's just different body types and different techniques i think for sure i think a surfer who i'd like to talk about that it, for a few different reasons actually suits that and that that was japanese's oh sorry japan's first ever surfer uh on the world tour uh i know kanoa surfs for japan but he obviously qualified as an american so amuro suzuki got the call up and she will be in the next few events because Lakey, unfortunately, has a crook back. And that is something that I just think is so cool. And she actually got told the morning before, as you saw, they didn't reseed the event. She just went straight into Lakey's jersey. So um, that was an amazing experience for her and her mom and, and everyone that's been supporting her for a long time because I just think it's, it's so cool. And she's a surfer that if she can uh, figure out that, keeping your confidence on the CT. I think like her body type just suits surfing so well. She gets really low to the to her board and she's super fat, powerful, got a mental style. Um, and I think she could, you know, I don't know how she goes in, 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 in going to go on Margaret River with the wildness. Um, I've seen some footage of her at sunset and she's only surfed out there once before and she was like pulling in and getting barreled and stuff. So I know that she's not sort of scared of a bigger wave. But the open ocean is obviously a different different kettle of fish altogether. But to see her get the call up was so awesome. Yep, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry that your your pick for this event pulled out with an injury. That is very unfortunate for your season long statistics. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I was gutted, and I I didn't really know how to change my pick either because obviously uh, we're not really running a, a super tight ship over here. I was like, what do I do? Do I text in and say, oh well, do I get another go, or do I just have to cop the the DNS on the chin? Did not start. And remind me again who your pick was. Did you go all the way to a win? Yeah, I was gonna. I was wondering if you were gonna congratulate me. I'm not gonna congratulate you. I'm not that nice. <laughs> but yeah, you did. You did all right. Um, and that was a pretty like wild card pick, I think as well, like, especially, you know, she's another one of those surfers who is built for backhand surfing. Um, but she's done clearly a ton of work in the off season, improving on her forehand. And we really got to see that this week. And it was really cool to see, like her technique is just so much better. She's really strong. She's really polished. And, um, yeah, she pretty much just smashed her way to the top. And yeah, like I said earlier, there's definitely a lot of surfers on tour. A lot of them want want more lefts and no more than than the goofy footers. So it was cool to see Caroline, you know, get what she was chasing and then go all the way to a win. Um, you know, front side her flow looked amazing and um, she had a couple of you know a couple of standout rides in that event and deserved champion. Yeah, and we got to see uh, Tati in the final as well. So she kind of backed up her 
claims in the last event that she was surfing really well, which was cool to see. Yeah, it's always interesting when that happens, isn't it? And yeah, she was surfing really well. To be honest, I felt like she was on borrowed time. If I'm straight up, I didn't think she beat Laura Anova in that round two heat. So, you know, sometimes you need that though in an event. You need a bit of luck to go your way or an interpretation of some scores to land in your favour. And she certainly maximised that. I thought she turned a certain round two knockout into a, a final, which is pretty, you'd be pretty stoked if you surfed every heat in the comp after a close battle in round two. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, we all know that uh, in a professional surfing career, you're going to have some heats that you probably should have won that you'll lose and some heats that you should have lost that you'll win. And I don't think you should dwell on them in either case. I think you should just move forward. And that's exactly what she did. Um, Because, you know, she could have easily been like, oh, man, like I feel bad or I I don't think I should have won that, blah, blah, blah. And it could easily kind of just spiral in your head and just lead to a bunch of negativity. But she clearly has a winning mindset. <laughs> Definitely. No, she was looking looking really good and nursing a little bit of a knee tweak. So it's always nice to see the... Maybe getting injured is the key. Morgan, Tati, both ripping, both getting results. Buckled. Yep. Buckled. And on sharp eyes. So uh, there might be something going on there. But, uh, you know... Coming out of this event, we still have Carissa way out in the lead for the women. Um, She made it to the semis in this event. And Gabriel now has a great lead for the men. As we talked about in the last podcast, it's not super important, or at least not as much as it was in years past. But it is interesting to see some leaders kind of cementing themselves. Um, If Carissa and Gabby were to continue the year at this clip, how do you think they are going to feel coming into that lowers event? I think anyone that has a 10,000 point gap between them and the person behind them is going to be feeling a little disgruntled, but they all know what they're surfing for. So we'll have to wait and see. That they do. And we will be here to cover all the tantrums that may arise. Um, so since we have a little bit of a break between now and Margaret's, we'll actually save our kind of pre margarets show for just before the event hopefully somebody will drive across australia just to add a little bit of spice to our next episode um but until then stace uh thanks for doing your thing on the webcast you've actually been a joy to watch and i've gotten a lot of texts from a lot of friends who think you're doing a great job so uh keep it up and we'll see you in the next episode of the stab cusp Oh, thanks, Mikey. And friends, you're making me blush. But yeah, I'm having an absolute ball and it's nice to be able to have um, all these events back to back in Australia. I'm very, very grateful.